Hi, welcome to BCI Cattle Chat. I'm Brad White. Happy to have you with us and happy to have a full crew here in the studio today. Good morning, Dustin. Good morning. Brian. Morning. Philip. Hello, guys. Bob. Good morning, guys. And Bob Weber's with us today. Hey, good morning, gents. Happy to have everybody here because it's the day after Thanksgiving and we've got some good topics. We're going to talk about how we pick our replacement heifers, what's the role of genetics or some of the other factors when we're selecting the heifers to keep on our ranch. We've also got a great listener question that is on calf sales. So we'll talk about when we think about selling those calves and how the economics affects that choice. So I know Dustin's got some thoughts there. And then we'll talk about treating some of the cattle post-weaning. So if we have some illness post-weaning, how do we come up with a treatment plan? And Brian's been working on that. So he's got some good ideas for uh, to share with us. Before we get into that, guys, it's the day after Thanksgiving. Come on, come on, come on, come on. <laughs> I knew Bob, Bob's been waiting all no, year. He's practiced all <laughs> year for that. So we could talk about your your favorite leftovers we could talk about your thanksgiving traditions we could talk about some of that stuff but we're moving on from turkey we're on to christmas and i'm going to ask you guys favorite christmas movie you can only pick one i'll go first christmas vacation christmas vacation yeah, yeah. yeah. brian wins okay now well, let's go ahead and get into other stuff because i don't, I don't know what else you guys are going to say it's going to top hey clark <laughs> now wow you stumped me on this one let me there's only one out there that could beat Brian's, and it's kind I, of... I know. I know. It's, it's uh, a Die Hard, but... No. That's where I was going. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty good. That's yeah. where I was going was Die Hard. Die Hard. I remember... Weber, which you got one? Which episode? I'm, I'm a pretty big Christmas Christmas vacation. Yeah. Yeah, that, that one's a classic. Oh, well, then you got you got the Santa Claus, and you've got... You know, there, there's some... There's an elf. Elf, elf yeah. has got to be up there. Yeah. That, that is one. Yeah. Elf is the only one that I would say is yeah. neck and neck okay. Christmas vacation. There you go. Yeah, I, I would either say Christmas Vacation, Elf, or Die Hard, one of those three. But there you go. Yeah. yeah we just watched those three movies. Yeah. Those are all kind of like Hallmark type of movies. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I'm not sure you know what that means, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> you have daughters. You know what that means. Lots the same. You feel good when it's over. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, true. That is exactly right. So let's talk replacement heifers. And, and in the scenario that... I've decided to save some replacement heifers. We're at weaning. I want to breed them so that they calve as a two-year-old, and I'd like them to stay in the herd for a long time. So I want to ask each of you, what are one, two, or three things that I should pay attention to on picking which heifers to save? Because I'm going to save, let's say, 20% of my herd. Weber, I'm going to go to you first. What are what are some of the things you're thinking about in that scenario? Well, I think the um, in, in my perfect world, you, you know, a long time ago made the breeding decision to produce the replacement candidates. So now it's an exercise of just really picking the ones that landed at the beginning of the calf drop. So you picked bulls and cows that you wanted to make replacements, make replacements out of them. And then sort them by age. So pick the oldest ones because we know from the data from Funston and others that those are the best bets. Yeah. So, so you're saying from a genetic standpoint, I would take any of those heifers, but I'm going to pick because of the breeding decisions I already made, yep. but then I would pick the oldest ones because they've got the best bet at moving forward. Yep. Larson? Yeah. I, I'm, if it's fair, I'm just going to reiterate, I would pick ones born in the first, say, 30 days and maybe the first 40 days, but they need to be born early in the calving season in order to really be a good bet to breed up early and do what I want them to do. So and part of what you guys are saying is, the earlier they're born in the calving season, the 
research would tell us the more likely they are to have a calf early in the calving season their first year and if they have a calf early in the calving season their first year they stay in the herd a long time so whether that is heritability or genetics that calendar follows them year to year for sure when they were i mean it the, the reason is because the age at puberty for beef cattle the type of cattle that we have in the united states is about when we want to breed them for their first pregnancy it doesn't we don't have a lot of leeway therefore the you know a two-month spread in age from the oldest or two to three month spread in age from the oldest to the youngest heifer is the dividing line the older heifers reach puberty in time to get pregnant early in the first breeding season the later born ones are less much less likely to get bred early in the breeding season and i think that the importance of it's compounded if you want to use ai to mate those heifers to say a calving needs bull for their first calf trying to ai and synchronize a bunch of late born heifers not going to be very doesn't satisfactory work very good even with exogenous you know putting a cedar in them and trying to get them it's 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 not as good as having heifers that have reached puberty all on their own absolutely phil i agree with bob squared over here but i think age is important but I, where i was going with something else to maybe think about and it, it's kind of wrapped up and, and related to the genetics component too but just the cow, you know, how has she been phenotypically? Has she been a, a good cow? She's longevity, I mean, if she's made it through the, maybe through the prime of her life and she's been able to rebreed year after year after year. And so you've got some of those characteristics of the dam from those heifers that you might want to pay attention to as well. Yeah, and I was thinking where you were going was maybe even potentially attitude. Because attitude, not necessarily heritable, but if you stand around crazy a lot, you end up kind of a little bit, maybe, crazy. Yeah, I think, do you want another why cow? At, why are you looking at me like that, Bob? Basically, the way I'm going to say it is, do you want another cow like this one? And if the answer is yes, then save her daughter. If the answer is no, then maybe not. Maybe not. Brian? Well, Bob just stole my answer, because I was going to say, look at mom. Um, and I don't disagree with what Bob and Bob and Philip have said, but, and I think age is important. Um, but sometimes, you know, Bob Weber said you made the breeding decisions and that's how you, you kind of just go with the oldest, right? Sometimes the situation changes too, though. Right. So like, you know, not that our drought is new, but we're kind of, I think we're probably continuing into a drought we thought we hoped would be over. And so, you know, maybe I make some different decisions based on factors like that. And part of it is, you know, what percentage of my heifer crop am I keeping, right? So um, we're asking questions now, how deep am I cutting? If I only need 10% replacements, that's a much different scenario than if I need 50% replacements. And so I might have to get past my 40 day window of the calving season, right? And so then um, I, I think looking at mom's a big thing, right? Because then you know that, or don't know, but you, you've put the odds in your favor that that calf will fit into your system if mom has been in your system for a while. And, I, and I'd follow up on that, Brian. There's something to be said because we expect we have relatively uniform mature weight in cows, but we don't always. And so we've got bigger cows and smaller cows in our herds, and we know that skeletal frame and size is highly heritable. So looking at mom, if she's a great big cow that maybe doesn't fit our environment, that may not be the heifer I want to keep because it's a little harder for me to tell when they're younger, but I can look at her dam and figure out where she where she might go. So I think that's a great point. Dustin? She, oh, sorry. Well, I was going to say, I was just going to follow up like, and 
even if she, if she doesn't fit in my system, she might be a prime candidate to bringing more, me more cash at sale, right? If she's a bigger heifer, I'm probably going to get more. So I just think there's a little bit of a balance there. Okay. Dustin? I don't know that I have anything else to add with what everybody else has said, but maybe I'll ask a question of you guys. As you're getting right up to that date where you have to decide whether you're going to keep or maybe uh, wean the calves or you know sell the calves, is there any other other considerations at that point besides just you know you guys talked about age or the crazy mom i think there's always a, leave yourself the ability to call a few just because of you know poor performance something you know maybe some health issues when they were young that only you would know about and those kinds of things so i think by and large you're going to use their mother and their sire you know is it the type of genetics that I want and their calving date. I think that's going to be the biggest decision. But within that, it, it, you're going to make a couple of extra calls out of that because of other information that you know either about how that calf was raised or any issues that they may have had. So there's some, and I think those are the, the minor decisions, but they still are part of the overall who, who stays. Yeah, I think, and Bob can speak to this probably a little better than I can, but confirmation and just legs and feet and paying attention to those things of how she walks because that's going to be a big part of her longevity is is keeping her around as long as her legs and feet are, are sound yeah absolutely and i think those are good choices as you guys think about it one of the things that that kind of comes out there is i need to have some mechanism whether it's the ear tag in the heifer or my written records of knowing when they were born because that's helpful weight is a pretty good proxy for age in those young animals but it's not perfect i like to know which ones are older the other thing that that i heard from everybody is keep a few more than what you need and let's get to breeding and and that will really kind of sort us out because then i can make a decision at breeding on who got bred early because that's what we talked earlier that that's what's critical so i we got a really good listener question and i, I want to be able to kind of dive into this and get each of your perspectives because I think it, it addresses a little bit of everybody. And if you have a listener question, you can always send us at, at bci at ksu.edu because we really enjoy going through those. And I'm just going to read this one verbatim. So I have been trying to figure out the best weight to sell my calves. Are you able to explain why lighter calves are worth more per pound than heavier calves? And is there a magic weight where I might give up a better price per pound in exchange for more weight on my calf. So Dustin, I, I'm starting with you because this sounds like uh, economics in the question. So I'm gonna because start with Because it had you. magic in it? Because it had magic, <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's what I thought, yeah, I thought for sure, so Dustin. magic weight, uh, was that, is that what you said? Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure there's a magic weight. And obviously, what's, what's the goal, what's the objective? There's probably a lot of things. Each operation, there's gonna be a lot of things that go into, into figuring out what your goal is, what your objective, if your goal is to try to sell at the highest per pound, then you're probably going to want to sell some lightest calves, but I don't know that that's what what your objective is, or are you trying to go for more revenue, trying to go for, um, there's a lot of factors, I guess, that go into, into that decision. Uh, so it's going to be different per operation, and you're probably going to have to figure out for your operation, and, and I guess I'd ask you guys, I'm going to go to Brian and ask the first part of the question, why are lighter calves worth more than heavier? Yeah, and so I think, I mean, the simple answer is the lighter calves have more potential. They've got more to go, right? And so when you've got more weight to add, somebody who's down the production chain that knows what their cost of gain is, they can they can figure out. So if they can add 
500 pounds versus 200 pounds, they know what their cost of gain is and they can make that balance out. And so I guess the easiest way to say it is those lighter calves have more potential to add weight at a certain cost of gain. And so the market kind of dictates that price is, you know, if I know I've got 700 or 500 or 200 pounds, how much I'm going to get back after I've added that additional weight. Absolutely. And in addition to that, Philip, part of it is the maintenance cost. So we always feed the those calves. They have to have their maintenance cost completed, and then they can gain. But the maintenance cost on a 200-pound calf versus an 800-pound calf is much different. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, actually, actually the, the maintenance cost on a 200-pound calf is higher as a proportion of the body weight than, a, than an 800-pound calf. Um, and so you've got more cost into that animal to, to maintain them as far as a, as a proportion of their body weight. One thing I was going to add to what Brian said is that that price slide is not always linear. I mean, it's, it's not the same from, you know, 300 pounds to 400 pounds and as it is from 700 pounds to 800 pounds. And, and so sometimes there are those weight categories that have a above expected, let me say it that way, um, price per pound. So like Dustin was talking about the magic weight. Um, depending on the year and the situation, in some cases there is kind of a magic weight um, where those animals that are at that weight category are m- worth more per pound than they, than expected based on the average price slide. Okay, so Larson and Weber, I'm going to go to you guys, and I, I want to follow up on the last part is how do I figure out? So what I've heard, it's variable that lighter calves are worth more per pound, but heavier calves implied are actually worth less per pound, but more dollars back to my operation. So you guys tell me, how do I pick what weight should I try to sell them? Well, I'm going to actually, this is an interesting question. And one, and I'm, I split it into two parts. One is, well, when should I wean them? If I was going to sell at weaning, at what age would I wean them? Because the earlier I wean them, the lighter the weight is, the more per pound, but the less total pounds. And hopefully by weaning them earlier, maybe my cow costs are down a little bit. So it gets a little bit complicated pretty quickly. But that is too complicated for me to get into. So I'm going to talk about post-weaning. So how do, how long do I own them post-weaning? And, you know, a couple of real factors that get into it quickly is do I have the labor and facilities to own them very long post-weaning? And if I do, what's my cost of gain? And that cost of gain varies greatly geographically and even down to the ranch level. So geographically, there's others, there's differences because of the basis of, you know, feedstuffs. There are areas where feedstuffs are relatively inexpensive and areas of the United States where feedstuffs are relatively expensive compared to other ranches. And so if I'm in an area with relatively inexpensive feedstuff and I have the labor and capacity, I may want to wean them and then grow them on my facility as long as my cost of gain is below the value of gain that I'm putting on. But if I'm in another part of the country where feedstuffs are relatively higher compared to other parts of the country, um, I may choose to sell at a lighter weight just because my cost of gain isn't competitive with ranchers in another part of the country. So it, it gets complicated pretty quick, but I got to know what feedstuffs are available and what price they are so I can figure out my cost of gain. And then my value of gain is really you know, what's, what's changing in the price that I'm going to receive based on time. So I'm going to sell later in the year and the price slide. And, and so there's, there's a lot of moving parts. So if this is a beginning cattle person, I can see why this is a little bit confusing. 
Yeah, I think one of the things that we've sort of alluded to a little bit too is is the seasonality of the market, right? And so if you're a spring calver and you're thinking about weaning calves and backgrounding them for 60 days, but that puts you into the peak of calf markets when we see a decline in price because of the big supply of calves, that's a different um, equation than figuring out, well, ordinarily maybe would have weaned them at that high point in terms of inventory, but I'm going to defer marketing them and feed them until maybe say the first of the year or into the spring and then you get the change in the seasonal price increase and so there's both the cost and feed availability part and the value of gain uh, but also you've got to pay attention to the change in expected price due to seasonality so it is a complicated question coming back as i was listening to every single one of you guys kind of answer this question i i, I would change my answer from before there is a magic weight for every single it's just different for every single operation and it's very complex because are you selling at weaning or are you waiting? And which comes to a lot of things that, you know, Bob number two said was feed, feed costs, uh, labor availability, et cetera. And so at the end of the day, I think what is, the, what is that cost, that marginal cost for an additional pound versus what is the benefit or what is the revenue for that additional pound? So I think that's what they want to probably think about as they're. Well, and as we've talked about before, kind of track it over time. So you may not get the answer right each year, but track and see where your weights are, what kind of prices you're getting. And that changes, you mentioned seasonality, Bob, but the price of calves today versus last year versus three years ago, drastically different. Yeah. So understand what market situation you're in because what the right decision was last year may not be the right decision this year for marketing those calves. So as we keep them on the farm post weaning, and if we fall into that scenario, we do need to think about occasionally some of those calves get sick. One of the main diseases that we deal with is respiratory disease or pneumonia. And Brian, I'm going to ask you first, as I, as I may encounter some of those, what are some of the things that I need to do to be prepared? So I don't necessarily have a sick calf today, but what do I need to do to be prepared so that I've got stuff on hand to treat them or I know what I'm going to do to treat them? What, where do you start? So I, the first step for me is always... You, and it doesn't matter if it's respiratory disease or anything else, you have to have a really good case definition. And by case definition, definition, I mean, what are the things as a producer you're going to see that then would initiate that treatment? So if we talk about respiratory disease, it could be a combination of, I'll say, respiratory characters. So it could be a calf that's breathing hard or coughing, it could be breathing fast. There might be an appetite component to that. So it may be a calf that isn't eating as much or maybe a calf that's off in isolation, all, all of those things. So we look at attitude, we look at fill, we look at respiratory rate and character. Um, usually those are on a typical cow-calf operation. Those are the things that would kind of initiate a, this calf might be sick. And then there's kind of, there's another layer where, okay, we're going to either rope that calf or we're going to bring it into a facility for a, a little more of an examination. And that might include temperature. It might include listening with a stethoscope or electronic stethoscope or some other kind of test. So there's, there's a couple layers, but whatever it is for your operation, it needs to be consistent. And we know from research here and some other places, as humans, we're not great at detecting disease in sick animals, um, cattle, but um, anything you can do to add to that to kind of increase your confidence that that one is sick will help you. And that case definition is important for a couple reasons. Keeping it consistent is because what I'm going to get to here in a second is you need to be able to monitor treatment 
outcomes, right? So you need to know if whatever you're treating with is working. And if your case definition is moving, that'll confound and kind of confuse your assessment of treatment outcomes. Yeah, so I totally agree. Get your case definition and you've got an idea of what you're going to treat with. But then when I think about my treatment plan, Bob, what, what do I do thinking about I, I may need to talk to my vet about that before, or how do, how do I work out? Do I need to have stuff on hand? Do I need to have the ability to call them? What's, what's your plan there? Well, it does kind of depend on, you know, the, the setting as far as how far you are from the vet clinic and stuff. But my, my recommendation is basically to have talked to your veterinarian ahead of time. You've got the case definition. Talk to your veterinarian about what they would recommend as your, your first-line treatment. And the good thing is we have a number of good choices that I think are pretty effective, um, and then have those on hand with, you know, a dose and route administration so you for sure know how to administer uh, the products. And then, like Brian said, uh, follow-up. You know, we would expect most cattle to respond to that treatment and to show some improvement, but some don't. And so then even on to the next conversation of if they don't improve, what do I do for my next step? And, again, those are all great things to do ahead of time. And worst-case scenario – you're in the middle of it, but work with your veterinarian and kind of figure out those those questions and those answers. And, and if you've done that, you probably have a valid VCPR, veterinary client-patient relationship, which we've talked about on the podcast before, which doesn't, which gets you, you're, you can do that treatment under that without having that animal examined before treatment. Like if you're remote from the clinic, might be a while before the veterinarian can get to, that protocol and all of that in place, make sure you have that so you're you're able to do that. The other thing is, is we wanna make sure we record those treatments so we're able to track withdrawal time. So all the products that we have, have a withdrawal time on them. Um, and we wanna make sure that we're following those animals so that we don't send something to sale or slaughter that still has residues on board. But, but in this case, we're talking about calves, Brian. So does that, they're not gonna go slaughter right away. Do I still need to follow that withdrawal time? Yep. I mean, yes, you're correct. They, they likely aren't, but even if you send them off to auction, you sh- there should be some sort of documentation that they're either out of, or if there is a withdrawal time, the purchaser of those animals needs to know what's remaining on that withdrawal time. Yeah. And my, my thought has always been, I don't know what happens once they leave yep. my operation. So I'm going to make sure they're out of withdrawal. If they break a leg, if something weird happens that, that they would have to go, they need to be out of withdrawal before they leave no matter what size of animal. So you guys talked about treating those, finding those, looking, having a case definition and being able to do the prevention, talk to your veterinarian before figuring out what, what you're going to do to treat those calves so that you've got a, you've got a plan. What else should I be thinking about relative to treatment? Well, another thing, and we, a lot of times we just call it good nursing care. So those calves, if I can think about when you've had a really bad cold or flu and don't feel very darn good. So uh, bedding, uh, palatable feed, maybe sometimes we remove them from the pen so that they have less competition with their pen mates. Um, so it's, it's not just the drugs by, by far. And, and again, any person that's really thought through when they've you know, been laid up for a couple of days not feeling well is, yeah, I, w- I want the medications, but I also need good nursing care. I need you know, the warm chicken soup. I need a nice place to rest. I need, you know, and those calves need the same thing. They need a good diet. They don't need chicken soup, but they need a good diet and they need a, a good place to rest. And, and those attentions to detail 
are really important about the recovery of, of that animal. Well, and a positive attitude, because when I was sick, I did all those things. I laid in bed, I had whined. food. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and but my wife started to think that it was, she started to call the room a chronic pen. I thought that was a bad sign. Yeah, that is a bad <laughs> sign. We know what happens to that pen. <laughs> That's exactly right. So we appreciate you joining us today. As always, if you have questions, thoughts, or things you'd like us to talk about, send us an email at bci at ksu.edu. Mm-hmm.